0: Hey there, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church. Happy Friday to you. Today is Friday, April 16th, which means it is the birthday of Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI. Uh, Pope Benedict turns 94 today. So from all of us here, a happy ad multos anos uh, at the Pope Emeritus, for the Pope Emeritus, I should say. Uh, listen, uh, we did last week's show actually on Monday, so it's only been four days since we've seen each other. But nevertheless, a great deal has happened uh, in those four days. So here's what's on the menu today. More Vatican trials. Uh, the, a, rooming, a looming rather referendum on the Second Vatican Council. The Vatican is nothing if not persistent in its latest arrest warrant. Uh, A new Vatican website literally shoots for the stars. And finally, a big time beatification seems to be in the deep freeze. That's what's on the menu, so please stick around all right so uh i want to remind you that you can find full coverage of all the stories we're going to talk about today on the crux site that is cruxnow.com cruxnow.com your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart wired and independent catholic journalism when you go on the site you'll notice we are in the middle of our online fundraising appeal if you can help us out from the bottom of our collective heart we would be grateful we're looking for people willing to make a small monthly contribution that that commitment is important because it gives us stability and it gives us the ability to plan we're not looking for much maybe what you would spend on a cheeseburger or streaming a movie this month whatever you can do uh, we would deeply appreciate also want to remind you if you like the program here uh, please give us a thumbs up please give us a like please give us a retweet Uh, You know, go on the social media platform of your choice and make disciples of all the nations. We want to put this show in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Okay, uh, with those naked commercial appeals out of the way, let's get started. Uh, We begin this week with more Vatican trials. The, The Vatican's criminal justice system, which for many years was like the Loch Ness Monster. A lot of people talked about it, nobody had ever seen it. Uh, at least not in action. Uh, Now, all of a sudden, it is nearly ubiquitous. Uh, It has been handling, in recent years, a number of high-profile sex abuse cases, Uh, and one of those cases continued uh, to sort of clunk forward this week. Uh, We also had a glimpse into the more ordinary application of Vatican criminal justice, what amounts to kind of a petty theft case. Uh, Let's briefly recap both. Uh, We have talked before on this show about the Vatican trial that focuses on a pre-seminary called the Pre-Seminary of St. Pius X on Vatican grounds. Uh, A pre-seminary is a facility for young Catholic males, usually, I don't know, uh, junior high, high school age, who are considering an eventual vocation to the priesthood. Uh, It's an opportunity to give them some discernment, some time for discernment, also a taste of community life, uh, and so on. The claim to fame of this one, the pre-seminary of St. Pius X, uh, is that it's actually physically located inside the Vatican, and it provides all the altar boys for papal masses at St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, So uh, a few years ago, accusations surfaced from a, one of the former pre-seminarians at this place, uh, a Polish pre-seminarian by the name of Kamil uh, who alleged that he had witnessed dozens uh, of acts of sexual misconduct and abuse, and that essentially, he essentially described a little, little shop of horrors. Uh, atmosphere uh, inside the pre-seminary, did this uh, in a scoop with an Italian journalist by the name of Gianluigi Nuzzi. Nuzzi is famous for being the architect of the leak scandals and in general uh, for essentially borderline sensationalistic scoops about the Vatican. All right. Uh, so this came out Uh, there was an initial review uh, by the diocese up in Northern Italy, which technically has responsibility for this place. Uh, And they concluded that there was really nothing to the charges. And so it was archived, as they say here in Italy, meaning it was kind of closed. But then uh, there was an appeal directly to Pope Francis. Pope Francis ordered that there would be, there should be a new uh, judicial investigation leading to a trial. So uh, the principal accused party in this trial uh, is a, another former pre-seminarian who went on to be ordained a priest, Father Gabriella Martinelli, who was accused of abusing another pre-seminarian when they were both minors. The other defendant is the former rector uh, who was accused of covering it up. Uh, we have already, in previous hearings, heard from the defendants. We've heard from the, uh, the accuser. Uh, we've heard from other people. This week, uh, we heard from three former officials of the pre-seminary who not only said they had never heard anything uh, about abuse or misconduct, but further described Yerzymbowski as a kind of loose cannon, uh, an embittered ex-seminarian who was disgruntled with having been tossed out, who is now out for revenge. All right, we will see how this plays out Future hearings are scheduled. We'll see what verdict the Vatican Court eventually renders. In the meantime, we also got a, I, I, I hate to use the word cute because it's really not cute, but a, a, an unusual, anyway, an intriguing glimpse into just ordinary Vatican criminal justice this week with a theft case. Uh, basically, there's a doctor uh, who is connected with the Vatican's health service, who, who does turns in their clinic has been treating their COVID cases and so on, who was accused last year, October and November, of basically stealing clothing out of a Vatican shop uh, that was meant to be sold. Uh, So it isn't quite pickpocketing, but it's petty theft. Uh, No apparent motive. Uh, The guy is a prominent doctor. He makes over 100K a year. His wife is a doctor who makes a good salary, certainly not a question of need. Uh, the defense in the hearing on Thursday suggested that the doctor, they didn't use the word kleptomania, uh, but kind of suggested it, suggested that these thefts may have been triggered by stress. Vatican prosecutors said, well, but in our code, uh, mental incapacity means you have a stable mental condition, not something that just flares up once in a while. The defense disputed that. Uh, There's only one on about 15 minutes. The court adjourned until June 23rd, at which point maybe they'll they'll make a decision about whether to, to commission a psychological investigation. Uh, nothing particularly important about this latter case, except that uh, the fact that it is occurring in full public view with pools of journalists present and all the details uh, divulged immediately uh, after each hearing is, of course, a mammoth step out of the shadows and into the light. Uh, It's a step in the direction of transparency. Thing about transparency, rarely is what we're gonna learn going to be historic thunderclaps. A lot of it is going to be boring and borderline meaningless, but that's what transparency is all about. We get to see and hear it all. All right, second. Uh, A looming referendum on the Second Vatican Council, the Vatican's Congregation for Bishops, led by Canadian Cardinal Mark Ouellette, uh, held a press conference this week to preview a conference on the theology of the Catholic priesthood that they will be holding next February. Cardinal Ouellette described it uh, as not simply a debate on priestly celibacy, although inevitably that issue will come up uh, but he said it's going to be an in-depth theological examination of the teaching of the Second Vatican Council on the priesthood, specifically the relationship the council envisioned between the priesthood of all baptized and the ministerial priesthood, uh, which Cardinal Willett ventured to say uh, has not been fully understood and hence not fully applied in the years since the Second Vatican Council. Now, if you think about it, that's quite a statement because it's been 50 years since the close of the Second Vatican Council. Cardinal's suggestion was that there were a lot of polemics and divisions and disagreements in the years immediately after Vatican II that prevented a fuller, richer appreciation of the Council's teaching and translation uh, of that into pastoral practice. In other words, Cardinal Willette has sketched a very ambitious agenda for this symposium. It is nothing less than a reexamination of what Vatican II actually meant, and not on some relatively tangential point, like I don't know how collection, collections should be taken at Sunday mass, or you know what color the walls in papal embassies ought to be painted. I, I don't mean to suggest those aren't important things, but let's face it, that's not of the heart. That it's not the heart of the action uh, in the Catholic Church. Uh, But the nature, understanding, and practice of the priesthood, that that cuts right to the quick. Uh, So it is going to be fascinating uh, to see what comes out of this symposium next February. Uh, No doubt those who want to push the envelope on issues such as celibacy uh, will be gearing up for it. Uh, Those who want to hold the line will be gearing up for it. But in this one case, we might want to take a cue from Cardinal Ouellette and say, look, uh, sure, uh, let's, let's focus on the celibacy debate. Let's pay attention to it. It's important. A lot of people have very strong feelings, uh, but it's hardly the, the whole show. Uh, and when we're talking about the legacy of a council being in a sen- certain sense codified for all time to come, uh, that's big time stuff. Uh, and we will, of course, have full coverage on the correct site. All right. Third, uh, the Vatican is nothing if not persistent with a new arrest warrant. Uh, We talked uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about a fairly brutal result uh, in a civil court in the UK for the Vatican. Basically, uh, this has to do with the London property scandal. You'll remember this is about a piece of property, a former Harrods warehouse in the posh London neighborhood of Chelsea. That the Vatican Secretary of State initially bought about 50% of, for roughly 200 million, uh, and then wanted to buy the rest of for another 180, 190 million. So rounding up, we're talking about 400 million U.S. all in, Uh, and this became a scandal because the Vatican, the Secretary of State wanted to finance the purchase with debt from the Vatican Bank. The Vatican Bank wasn't interested. Thought there was something a little hanky about all of this. People have been arrested and fired. Investigations are ongoing. Uh, So, as part of this investigation, the Vatican has charged that two Italian financiers, laymen, one who was involved in the first purchase, one who was involved in the second, basically built the Vatican, fleeced it uh, for several million euro. Uh, That second financier is a guy by the name of Gianluigi Torzi. Uh, The Vatican through Italian authorities, had requested that authorities in the UK freeze Torsi's accounts and arrest him. They did because that's their treaty obligation. It went in front of a civil judge and the civil judge said, are you kidding me? Said, there's a paper trail here. Everything Torsi did was fully authorized by people in the Vatican and the Secretariat of State. There's no case for criminal misconduct here. I'm unfreezing his accounts and I'd recommend you not go forward. Uh, Basically, as bad a result, As as Vatican prosecutors uh, could have envisioned. Well, uh, what has happened now uh, is that since Tortzi has been released, the Vatican went to their counterparts in Italy uh, and asked that Italy issue uh, a request for an arrest warrant uh, of Tortzi again uh, in the UK. Uh, There is a codicil uh, in the bilateral relationship between Vatican and the Vatican and Italy that allows it to do that. Italy, exercising its treaty obligations, has made the request. Uh, now, that request, uh, because the, Tordesill's lawyer in London has said he'll appeal, presumably it will go before another civil judge in the UK. We will see if the outcome is any different. I, I will simply say this the, the conclusion of that first civil court judge in the UK looking at this mess was the conclusion, frankly. <laughs> that most people without law degrees or years of experience on the bench would be tempted to reach, which is, there are written memos from the two highest ranking officers in the Vatican Secretary of State, that is, Cardinal Secretary of State uh, Pietro Parolin and the sustituto, the number two guy, Archbishop Edgardo Peña Parra, authorizing in full these transactions and authorizing the payments made to Tortzi as a result now you can argue that tortsy was gilding the lily you, you know you can argue who is was and maybe he was and maybe there is criminal culpability there but it's hard to think uh, that if something criminal happened here that those who signed off on it repeatedly at every stage uh, don't bear at least some measure of responsibility in the fact that, so far as we know anyway, there has been no investigation uh, launched against either Parolin or Peña Parra. Neither man has been called as a witness uh, in any criminal proceeding by Vatican prosecutors. All that cannot help but induce a certain degree of suspicion. suspicion that when push comes to shove and the rubber really hits the road, And I could roll out more metaphors, but you get the idea. When things get dicey, uh, the Vatican criminal justice system is designed to find lay culprits, lay bad guys who will carry the weight for what went wrong while insulating the guys in scarlet and purple from any ultimate accountability. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe that's uh, an outdated perception. Uh, maybe the wheels of change are turning. But I would simply note that, at least in this case, we have yet to see much concrete evidence of it. All right, fourth this week, a new Vatican website literally reaches for the stars. Uh, Catholics who trade in inside baseball are well aware uh, that the Vatican has its own observatory, uh, its own center of astronomical investigation and research. We know it was actually created in far ago 1891 by Pope Leo XIII. Uh, footnote: the, Also, the Pope who launched the modern tradition of Catholic social teaching. Uh, he was an ex- Leo XIII. was an extraordinary learned man. It is said of him uh, that as a hobby, uh, he would walk around the Vatican Gardens uh, composing Latin poetry in Latin hexameter in his mind, you know, just just to kill some time. Uh, it's what he liked to do. Uh, so uh, he, he was very much a man who believed that the church should not be estranged from learning, from science. Uh, and the creation of the observatory was a gesture uh, in that regard. Uh, the observatory was founded out at Castel Gontolfo. You couldn't really do it at the Vatican because even in the late 19th century, there was too much light and smog in the city. It would have made uh, observing the stars difficult. So they went out to the hills in the Castelli uh, in Castel Gandolfo. Later on, uh, the Vatican Observatory also acquired a facility uh, near Tucson, Arizona, because of course the desert, just are, those are ideal viewing conditions. Uh, and so for more than a century, uh, the Vatican Observatory has been on the cutting edge uh, of astronomical research. A great patron of science. There are a number of uh, world-class astronomers on the staff of the observatory. Uh, However, uh, that wasn't the whole mandate that Pope Leo XIII gave. Pope Leo XIII said he wanted the world to know uh, that the the Vatican uh, had no fear of science, in fact, that it wanted to be a patron of science. It's done a great job at the second part of that formula, the, the letting the world know part. Uh, maybe not so much. So recently, uh, the head of the Vatican Observatory, a American Jesuit brother by the name of Guy Consolmagno, presided over the launch of a brand new spiffy website, uh, which uh, includes uh, a uh, an online digital community for people who were uh, interested in the intersection of faith and science and astronomy. Uh, it includes... Uh, sort of uh, very hip, modern-type podcasts. Uh, it includes a kind of digital shop, uh, although they're a little bashful, honestly, about calling the shop. Really what this is, is for people who want to make a contribution to join the digital community, they get some points they can redeem to get some Vatican Observatory swag. Uh, but in any event, it's very cool. Uh, and Consolano has described this uh, as an effort to sort of not only get the word out in a promotional sense uh, about the Vatican Observatory, uh, but also for the Vatican Observatory to be a catalyst in a broader cultural conversation uh, about faith and science uh, and the idea that ultimately uh, there is a kind of kismet, uh, a kind of kinship uh, between the two, and viewed properly, they are mutually reinforcing. Uh, Check out uh, this new website, the Vatican Observatory. Uh, It is fun. It is fascinating. Uh, In some ways, uh, it's the church at its best uh, when it comes to the intersection with science. I would add as a footnote uh, that one of the prime movers in this project were our old and great friends uh, at Longbeard Digital Marketing, uh, Longbeard does all the IT for the site. they also design our own digital marketing strategies. Basically, every bright idea about what we've done online uh, has come from Longbeard, uh, and we're not the only ones. Uh, they have delivered the same astonishingly innovative services uh, to lots of big, medium, and small fish uh, in the Catholic world. Uh, so check them out online, too. Uh, and if you do have digital marketing needs, I promise you, uh, they, they have the Midas touch. Uh, whatever they come up with will be gold. Uh, all right. Finally, this week, speaking of big time, a potentially big time beatification seems to be in the deep freeze. Uh, several years ago, it was announced uh, that a group had been formed to promote the beatification of the late Italian Prime Minister Aldo Moro. Uh, Now, if you've spent much time in Italy, you're going to know the story of Aldo Moro like the back of your hand. uh, But of course, in other parts of the world, maybe not so much. Uh, Aldo Moro uh, was born in 1916. So therefore, grew up late 20s, 30s, early 40s uh, in Italy. Extraordinarily faithful Catholic. He was part of something called FUCI, which is a federation uh, federation of institutions of Catholic universities. Basically, it's where up and coming young Catholics uh, would, would network uh, in the day. Uh, during that time, he became known to a young Italian Monsignore by the name of Gian Battista Montini, uh, who took a personal interest uh, in Moro. Uh, over the years, the two became friends. Montini went on to become uh, a senior official in the Vatican Secretary of State, then the Archbishop of uh, Milan, uh, and finally uh, Pope Benedict, the, the, or sorry, Pope Paul VI, uh, now Saint Paul VI. Moro, meanwhile, went into politics, became a member of the Italian Christian Democrats, uh, became very prominent, twice served as prime minister of the country in the 1960s and 1970s. His great achievement uh, is what was known in Italy as the Compromesso Storico, the the historic compromise uh, between the sort of center-left faction of the Christian Democrats uh, and the Italian communists and socialists. Uh, And that brought them into the mainstream. Uh, It essentially ended... Uh, what had been a kind of 30-year question mark about Italy, about whether it was going to remain democratic or enter the communist sphere, Uh, and it was considered a great act of statesmanship. Uh, He was a kind of center-left, somewhat conservative uh, Catholic. Uh, He and Montini Paul VI saw eye to eye uh, on a variety of things. They spoke on a regular basis. They corresponded regularly. They were very close. In 1978, Moro was kidnapped by the Red Brigades, the left-wing terrorist organization who were behind what's remembered here in Italy as the Anni di Piumbo, the, the Years of Lead, basically a, ter- a decade uh, of radical terrorist bombings, kidnappings, executions up and down Italy. Moro was held for 55 days. During that time, Paul VI literally <laughs> moved heaven and earth to try to save his friend. Paul VI, at one point, issued a public appeal, a handwritten note published by Twitter Zervi- Zervi- Romano, begging, he used the word beg, I am begging the Red Brigades to liberate my friend. Behind the scenes, he tried to raise a ransom payment of about 10 million US dollars. At another point, he even offered to take Moro's place as a hostage, if Morrow would be let go. In the end, Moro's bullet-written body was left in the trunk of a car uh, in in Rome's political district. Paul VI was anguished. Three days after that, he went to St. John Lateran and basically, for the first time in the history of the papacy, cursed God in public. He said, I begged you. I wept. I begged you. And you did not hear my prayer. To save the life of Aldo Moro. Who was my friend." All right, in honor of Borough's memory, therefore, in the fact that throughout his entire life he remained a faithful Catholic, there has been a push uh, in recent years to try to see him beatified. Uh, however, uh, his daughter, uh, a few years ago, uh, complained about the slow pace of the process. She eventually got an audience with Pope Francis. Uh, she had hopes, uh, that that would speed things up, uh, but it stalled again. Uh, there was then a report in the Italian media, uh, that the Congregation for Saints had actually requested bribes, basically, cash payments, uh, to speed things up. That was denied. The congregation said that there is no process underway here. Uh, the Vicariato of Roma, Uh, has not requested a process. The only thing formally that's happened is that a couple of postulators, that is the official in charge of the cause, have been appointed. Both later quit because they said the job was simply overwhelming and they didn't have the resources. Look, uh, I know there are a lot of worthy causes for beatification and sainthood, and I know when you're talking about a politician, it's terribly complex because it's hard to separate the Christian virtue, and the political positions. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, I mean, I, I know it's a thicket. And, and all that said, uh, if ever there was somebody in political life, uh, in recent memory, who seemed to try to live and, as it happens, die by his Catholic faith, for whom a pope himself wept and remonstrated, channeled Job for a moment with God. Um, This would seem to be a fairly compelling cause. Here's hoping that the authorities and the vicariato here in Rome, that what remains of the Christian Democrats and all those who remember Aldo Mora's memory will be able to scrape up what it takes jumpstart this process and give it at least the hearing that it deserves all right that is our show for this week please uh give us a thumbs up or a like if you enjoy this content we are going to see you next friday same bat time same bat channel in the meantime stay safe stay healthy have a fantastic and blessed week go kc royals and we will talk to you again soon